0: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ben. I am not currently an astronaut. Just got to get that out there in the front. What, uh, what about the rest of us? Any astronauts?
1: I mean, I've always had astronautical aspirations. Ooh. I'm an aspirational astronaut. I like that. And uh, uh, my name's Noel as well, by the way.
0: <laughs> I like that. No, Years ago, folks, uh, just a quick peek behind the curtain. Uh, Noel and I and one of our colleagues were talking about Space Camp. And Noel, you you always wanted to go to Space Camp, right?
1: Well, I mean, I guess if you're going to bring up this sore, sad (laughs) memory, you know, I think we all, everybody of of our generation probably grew up watching like, you know, shows like uh, Double Dare and Nick Arcade, you know, or, or, or some quiz show on Nickelodeon where the ultimate prize was a trip to Space Camp.
0: That's right. Ah, you're, you're so right. I forgot about that. Super producer, Casey Pegram. I don't know whether we've talked about this on air. Were you a, were you a space camp kid? Did you want to go? Did you go?
1: I did in fact go to space camp in, uh, in Alabama and, um, it was okay. I don't, I don't think you missed that much, Noel, Yeah. but but, you know, um, I mean, it was fun, but it lasted for like a week. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have any like lasting, like amazing memories from it. To be honest, well, then I guess you didn't work hard enough to get to the zero g chamber, Casey. Maybe I don't know if they had that when I was there. Did they? Was that was that a <laughs> I, thing that they would hype I, up on? I, I, uh, yes, it was, and I clearly do not think it was an actual thing. No, unless no. you can speak otherwise, Ben.
0: Uh, they you know, the a zero g chamber would be super expensive. It would be like it would literally be uh cheaper to just have. One of those inside wind tunnels, you know what I mean? For indoor skydiving.
1: But if I'm not mistaken, weren't the kids in the space camp commercials like literally floating around and stuff? Uh,
0: i believe you are
1: correct i, I think that's true I, remember, I mean i know they had like you know the old classic gyroscope that's a you know good old go-to uh training thing i guess for being in a semi weightless state uh i did though to be fair work at a science center uh mm-hmm. for a time um and i, and
0: I could ride the gyroscope as, as much as i wanted so nice nice it's different cool. at the top i hear the yeah, <laughs> the yeah. So, why are we talking about Space Camp? Why are we talking about astronauts? Well, we know that Space Camp was a very successful endeavor to raise awareness uh, amongst children about the possibility of exploring space, of, of reaching beyond the bounds of Earth. Turns out the idea of exploring space is, of course, very, very old. Today's episode which may be the first of a two-parter, is about a guy you may not have heard of who tried to launch his own space program way back in the 17th century. His name, John Wilkins. John Wilkins, a name
1: that may have been
0: uh, largely lost to history, especially you know,
1: given the reputation of folks like Galileo and Copernicus, names that will live on. Uh, however, John Wilkins not as much of a household name as those folks. Albert Einstein, you know the guy, you know that guy. John Wilkins not so much. But let's give let's give you guys a, a, an introduction to this uh, forgotten hero of science. Um, he was a theologian. He considered himself a natural philosopher. He was born. Born in 1614, um, and he actually married Oliver Cromwell's youngest sister, Robina, which seems like a lot of pressure. Cromwell was not particularly friendly fellow, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Kind of an intense dude, mm-hmm. from, from what we understand. Kind of an intense dude. Uh, you're, you're right, though. Uh, he was He was high up. He was a learned intellectual for the time. He was connected to society, as many learned intellectuals were in this era. He was born in 1614. Uh, he was a polymath and he would go on to become one of the founders of the Royal Society. He also was a writer. And in some of his books, he explored the possibility of carrying human beings to the moon, like a lot of people in the world at this time. He believed that the moon and the other planets in the solar system were inhabited. And he was like, we should meet these people. We'll hang out with them. Oh, totally.
1: And he had a really optimistic view of how this might work logistically. Uh, He envisioned a world uh, where you could literally sail to the moon using what he would call, I'm going to call it this, but something along the lines of a space chariot, Uh, He would refer to it more as a flying chariot. But his notion of of, of how this might work was that if you could just get 20 miles uh, above the Earth's surface, uh, then you would enter a zone where you could fly freely uh, or sail using this space chariot through space. Breathing wouldn't be a problem. No worries. The astronauts would soon grow accustomed to this pure, uh, literally rarefied air, uh, the likes of which was breathed by angels, (laughs) um, which I also, I I gotta say, I love throughout history the kind of um, crossover between the idea of angels and extraterrestrials.
0: Sure, yeah. I think we've, uh, I've mentioned this on on other shows in the past, but there's, uh, from a folkloric perspective, there's this incredible tradition of phrasing the same sort of story through different, uh, cultural perspectives, right? Like if you look at alien abduction stories in the, I don't know, um, in the 20th century on, they have a ton in common with the older stories of people like encountering changelings or the Fae or, you know, Rip Van Winkle is pretty much a UFO story. It's just f- phrased in the language of the time. And it also, has a weird emphasis on bowling. I think instead of getting probed by aliens, he goes bowling with these magic people and wakes up seven <laughs> years later. That's exactly right. And and he, you know, this all
1: wasn't only within the conceptual realm. He did actually attempt to build flying machines with Robert Hooke, a fellow enthusiast. Uh, and they would do this in the gardens of Wadham College in Oxford in the 1650s. But you know, as time progressed, he began to understand a little bit more <laughs> uh, of how this stuff worked, that it was you know, the idea of a vacuum existing in space. Uh, it kind of threw a wrench in the works, at least in terms of the like magical proposition of just gliding and sort of tippy-toeing around space and breathing in that angel air. Um,
0: but he did. This didn't stop him, right? No. Yeah, you're right. Uh, not at all. Uh, I I just I love the picture of this guy, and he was again. We cannot emphasize this enough. He was a very intelligent person. Uh, he was one of the few people who uh, in that time who attended both Cambridge and Oxford. Like he wasn't a blockhead, is what we're saying. Uh, he did continue in his explorations. I love the moment though where he says, "Huh, maybe going to the moon is." little more complicated than I thought. Uh, mm-hmm. He also, he also had his ups and downs and he had his ups and downs in earth life. Uh, his connections to Cromwell eventually reduced him to poverty when the, when the monarchy returned. Uh, but he eventually weathered the storm and would end up as a Bishop of Chester before his demise. So nowadays, We're going to look at some weird stuff in today's show. Nowadays, his ideas might seem really out there, but we have to understand he was one of the first people to really consider this in what at the time was a practical way. I'm really being careful with that. I don't want to dunk on the guy. You know what I mean? I don't want to dunk on him yet. So it's true. We've all been dreaming about space travel for centuries and centuries and centuries. Uh, the idea of reaching out to the moon or exploring that distant surface uh, it probably predates written history. And we have it's weird when you think about it, we've only traveled to space in the last century. But if you look back through the historical record in the second century AD, true history uh, by Lucian which is a parody of travel tales, was already thinking, hey, what if what if people ended up on the moon? We've been thinking about it for a long, long, long time.
1: Yeah, for example, you see it in in pop culture, or at least the earliest forms of pop culture, like the, what is it, KC, Voyage to the Moon by, I believe, George Méliès. That's right. And then, of course, the Smashing Pumpkins video that basically uh, <laughs> imitates it. Tonight, right. tonight, baby. Yeah. But, I mean, that kind of fantastical imagery is not far off from the types of sketches that we see Wilkins doing like a lot of the stuff, like these like space chariots or the kinds of stuff you would think of in terms of like almost a Jules Verne approach to space travel, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we have to remember too, uh, in Wilkins time, uh, there were, there was this fascination with exploration in general, at least for Europeans. You know, folks were folks were very much tuned in to the earlier explorations of Christopher Columbus and Magellan and Francis Drake. Their discoveries of the well, their quote unquote discoveries of these new distant lands. So it's, it's kind of like a uh, it's like a situation where you say, wow, there are entire other continents on this planet that we didn't know about. Why stop there? What's going on on the moon? If we can get across the Atlantic Ocean, surely we can get 20 miles (laughs) into the air and then sail away to the moon. Uh, this This would prove to be incorrect it certainly would be
1: incorrect and, and again you know we, we kind of indicated that once he got the the drift of the idea of a vacuum that he sort of had to you know uh, recalculate a bit but um let's let's take it back uh so the scientific advances of the jacobean era um it, it, it was an important time where you know you did see a lot of improvement beyond well, of, of actual practical execution of science you did have folks like galileo making these incredible discoveries in astronomy uh, using only relatively recently invented telescope technology that came in 1610. Uh, He was able to actually pinpoint and observe these celestial bodies in much more detail uh, than anyone had been able to do up to that point. Uh, And then you had the royal physician, Dr. William Harvey, who found ways of exploring the human body and the human circulatory system and described how the circulation of blood around the bodies of living creatures actually worked. And that was in 1628. So there was, there was a lot of innovation happening, things like mechanical clocks and gunpowder and, and magnetic compasses and telescopes. A lot of these things clearly were focused on this, you know, uh, absolute
0: obsession with exploration. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the cars call to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: that's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here
1: at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic
0: challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. It's Harry's. Hmm. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful.
0: I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care
1: products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wildlands, and stone. You want to know what a stone
0: smells like? I've often wondered. Only, you know, you can. (laughs) So don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a
1: $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history.
0: Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the
0: catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that
1: they sell wireless service online. And by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless build of 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and
0: restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is a great time for gadgets. This is like an era of amazing, cool technology. We're talking mechanical clocks. So say goodbye to that candle with the nails stuck in it, which I I still think was a very MacGyver-like cool invention. Uh, Say hello to telescopes. Say hello to gunpowder, which will go on to ruin the world. uh, And the magnetic compass, which is immensely useful. All All of this stuff is happening, and people are feeling... Energized by it, there we can now say to ourselves, the world is both understandable and worth understanding. We can use a a critical thinking approach to answer questions. Maybe more importantly, to find out which questions to ask, and then we can maybe bring about a new age for humanity overall. I mean, like I think about that all the time. You know, like. History sometimes appears, for the people living in it, to be a a time of stasis, right? A time of of constant institutions, a time of constant existing inventions and social mores. But we have to remember, it's eternally changing. And, And we're all very privileged, I would say, right now, overall, to live in a time where there are already so many scientific breakthroughs. There are people, as we record the podcast today, there are people right now who are doing stuff that was once relegated to the realm of science fiction. And this era in which Wilkins exists is very similar. They're discovering, like, it wasn't too long ago that someone said, hey, we found a continent. And people are like, oh, that's crazy. Really? What'd you do? And they're like, well, you know how maps are? We just sort of went left for a while. And we think if you go right far enough, you might end up in the same place. That is so cool. So, end rant about how how cool it is to be human and to discover things. Uh, Back to what you said about Galileo. So, like you said, Noel, in January of 1610, he first looked at the moon through the telescope, right, Uh, which was a very new piece of technology. And he was dumbfounded. He was like, this looks like a world of some sort. And the reason he realized that is because, you know, most of the time if you look at the moon with the unaided or naked eye, sorry, off mic, I was thinking of that naked eye I saw song. With my was, naked eye I saw. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, no, let's keep that part in. That was great. <laughs> so so he, he looks at the moon and if you look at the moon, Without the aid of a telescope, unless you have superhuman vision, you're going to see like um, something that could be arguably described as a face. You're going to see a circle or a crescent. But what happens if you look at it through a telescope? Well, first of all, word to the wise, don't look at the moon too long because it will literally burn
1: your eyes out of your sockets. Okay. In case you didn't know. I'm obviously kidding. But no, you look through the moon with the telescope and you start to see craters. You start to see, like, real surface features. I mean, how cool is that? That somebody just using lenses and, like, uh, tubes and metal and, uh, you know, uh, craftsmanship, gears, you know, was able to build a thing that would let you see that far out into space uh, in in meaningful ways. Like, literally was like, okay, okay what the hell are these things? They're clearly not just magical celestial space discs. Like there's whole geographical features and, and perhaps they could even sustain life. Obviously they didn't have the tech to go much further than that, but it was powerful enough technology to raise some very important questions that would further the scientific exploration of these things.
0: Yeah. Well said. Now, did Galileo get everything right automatically? No. no. Nobody no. ever does. Yeah. Yeah, I hate to say it but early on. You're, I mean, like early on, right. you
1: gotta you gotta break a few eggs, you know. And, <laughs> and you gotta appreciate the ability to kind of like learn what you don't know. And but but again, some of these folks would die on many hills. Uh, but I will say this about Wilkins: he was able to admit when he learned something that he was wrong about and pivoted. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, that's true. That's a really good point, point. Um, and it's something that is. Humbling for the individual, but tremendously important for society overall, I would argue. Uh, so here's what Galileo kind of got wrong in the beginning. Well, definitely got wrong. He saw he saw some of these features on the moon and he went, holy smokes, those are oceans. Those are seas, just like we have here on Earth. Uh, he even publishes some sketches of this in... Uh, starry messenger. And then other people, of course, are touting astronomy, working in astronomy throughout throughout Europe. And the various discoveries of people like Galileo and Ben Johnson sparked an intellectual flame amidst other like-minded intellectuals. And again, as we said earlier, we have to remember that science and religion were still kind of commingling. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they came came to blows. So it was a natural thing then whether you are an Anglican clergyman like John Wilkins or whether you are just a just a regular joe. It's natural to ask yourself if God made the moon, right? Cuz God makes all things in this belief system. If God made the moon and made it a world, doesn't it naturally follow that God put intelligent life there just the same way that God put arguably intelligent life on Earth. That's still up for debate, I would say. And if those, are, if those things exist, those beings exist, can we speak with them? The idea of the Jacobian space program was focused on the concept of speaking to aliens. And this is where we find John Wilkins. He's 24 years old. He is, in the parlance of our time, crushing it he graduated oxford university he published a book in 1638 called the discovery of a new world on the Ming. m o o n e is that like an old english situation what is that about yes but in That's my head amazing. i like I, I like thinking that he always pronounced it in like a snarky the the way people say actually a cocktail parties. I always like to picture him saying the discovery of a new world in the mean. The mean. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It sounds kinda like a Cartman kind of thing. Yeah, it uh it did. You know, I guess what, G- Galileo was known, but he, he this guy had a lot of pull because he was sort of a high society guy. Um, he was, uh, had bona fides from Oxford University. And so in his uh, discovery of a new world in the moon, uh, he really made uh, put Galileo's descriptions of the moon as a solid uh, and uh, ultimately habitable world in front of a lot of eyeballs. Wilkins, however, was a Copernican. Copernicus, you'll remember, uh, believed that the Earth revolved around the sun, that heliocentric view is the sun being the center of, of the universe, um, and or of whatever, the known area of the universe that was being examined at the time. Um, and he suggested that uh, not only might the moon be Something that humans could eventually attain, you know, in terms of exploration, but also that other planets might be on the table uh, to to visit and perhaps even colonize. So, I mean, that alone, given how little, you know, functional ability to do any of these things existed, pretty forward thinking uh, and, and definitely still top of mind for a lot of, you know, space nerds.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Are you kidding? Uh, we're 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 gonna one day take a week off, and we're we're just gonna go to space camp. We will be the oldest kids there, but we will have a lot of fun. So let's talk about John a little bit. Let's talk about John. So we said he's born in uh, sixteen fourteen. He's a New Year's baby, born January first, uh, in Cannons Ashby, Northamptonshire. He is a graduate of Oxford. He's ordained as a priest in the Church of England, and. After that, he travels across the United Kingdom. He goes to Germany to meet other scholars, other people who are researching this stuff, who are thinking about it. Uh, He is nowadays considered one of the founders or preeminent voices of something known as natural theology. Natural theology is super important to everybody living today because it was a theological practice that slowly accepted. Scientific accomplishments, they did not see the idea of learning and uh, understanding the natural processes of reality as somehow heretical or anti-religion. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, seemingly he got a pass from that. I don't know if it was because of his stature within you know society or what. Uh, it's 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 still fascinating though.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen introducing uber teen accounts an uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers this is important stuff your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map
1: and you know i've actually been using uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events the other week i used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in atlanta and today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) and more of everything. Limited time special offers wait at AvalonWaterways.com.
2: You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find unpacking Israeli history, wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's the thing, science fiction it's been around for
1: a long time. And there was contemporary science fiction that uh, actually uh, much like what we see today, even at times uh, inspired some of Wilkins ideas for space travel. Um, He was a ravenous consumer of science fiction, a big fan of, of Johannes Kepler's Somnium or the dream from 1634, which actually kind of speculated on this very thing, this idea of humans being able to make that ultimate giant leap for mankind into space. And um, when, Actually, preparing much of the uh, the manuscript for his second edition of uh, the Discovery of the Moon, Wilkins also took inspiration from Francis Godwin's story, The Man in the Moon. Uh, it's also spelled, I guess that was just a popular spelling of it at the time. Um, and that came out in, in 1638. There's a character in that piece named Domingo Gonzalez who is magically transported to the moon in, wait for it, a chariot that is towed by a flock of geese. So, space. space geese! Space ah. geese! <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Uh, no, G- give me space unicorns <laughs> any day. Uh, uh, yeah, space geese sounds terrifying. Do they shoot lasers out of their weird little serrated teeth rimmed mouths? Uh, I don't want to know. In um, space,
0: s- no one can hear you honk. It's true or
1: scream as the space geese devour your flesh. Uh, but yeah, in the 17th century, I mean, this was the height of really out there thinking uh, science fiction. And Wilkins believed that. Uh, it, it would not only be uh, possible to travel to the moon occasionally, but that it would be possible to potentially habitate it and and colonize it and create the kinds of biodome scenarios that we're still toying with today. Um, the moon was kind of the ultimate uh, achievable space destination simply because of its uh, proximity to the earth and, and the fact that observably – it seemed doable, you know? It didn't seem like you'd be close enough to the sun to, like, burn up in a fire, um, and it seemed like it was something that could actually be reached, you know, in a reasonable amount of time,
0: right? hmm mm-hmm. Just so, like, how, how League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is this? Wilkins understood that uh, Domingo Gonzalez was a fictional character. He understood that a lot of what was inspiring him was the equivalent of uh, fanciful science fiction, but he appreciated it nonetheless. And so he aimed to, quote, raise up some spirits eminent for new attempts and strange inventions, and essentially get a brain trust together uh, to figure out ways to bring the moon closer, they called it, by traveling through space. Uh, And you can read quotes from his second edition of Discovery. Uh, You can also find some great articles about this. Uh, We'd like to especially shout out uh, Scientific American for their work on it. You get the sense when you're reading Discovery that he knows how wild this idea is. Uh, At one point in the book, he says, I do seriously, and upon good grounds, affirm it is possible to make a flying chariot. He's kind of right. Like we have space shuttles now. I guess that would be the closest analog to the chariot. From that point in discovery, he goes on to describe and sketch out various spaceship. Predecessors, these mechanisms or apparatuses for flying, they're driven by manpower sometimes, or they're towed by space geese. <laughs> That's
1: like a, I think there needs to be a reverb on that quack, if possible. Okay. <laughs> hopefully we can achieve
0: that. Oh, Casey, give us some, yeah, give us some sci fi music every time <laughs> we say that. So, uh, yeah. So he also, interestingly enough, thinks about how an engine could be made that would use the same natural principles as uh, doves and eagles, but he specifically... I think, inspired by the old legends of mechanical birds. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and clearly inspired by a lot of, like if you talk about chariots, I mean, it sounds to me like he's trying to harness the power of the gods and all of this. But despite all of this kind of ludicrous, outlandish flying chariot imagery and space geese, and again, that wasn't his thing, that was from a science fiction story that he just pulled inspiration from, his methods were actually somewhat grounded in the science, at least of the time right? His flying chariot uh, would technically incorporate technical details that you'd see in the designs of of ships, utilizing principles of atmospherics uh, and some of the really popular kind of clockwork automata of the time, Um, and also early experimental physics. Um, And he would ultimately Kind of squash all of these disparate kind of like elements together in synthesizing uh, a series of theories uh and skills that would allow him to propose something incredible
0: yeah yeah and i I'm so inspired by this you know and and ridiculous historians uh we hope you are inspired by this too uh he is thinking through this logically he is thinking through this as uh, practically as he can, you know, uh, he spends years thinking about how how this would work, like how we could conceivably do this. One of the primary tenets of his belief is his understanding of the gravitational pull of Earth, and he knows that this is what. Anybody traveling to space will need to escape from right. That's that's the first that's the first speed bump you have to get over. We have to remember, however, this was a good uh, five decades before Isaac Newton had his uh, famous series of epiphanies and revelations. So at this point, when Wilkins is alive, he's still kind of confusing the pull of gravity with the attraction of what we mentioned earlier: Earth's magnetic field. And so with that assumption, he noticed that a magnet wouldn't attract a compass needle at a given point of separation. If you took the magnet far enough away, the compass wouldn't catch it. And that's where he got his number of 20 miles. He thought, you know, once you get 20 miles above the surface of the earth, you're no longer close enough to the magnet.
1: You're not subject to its, uh, its you know, wiles, I guess, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. So this is his uh, initial problem to solve. This is what he tackles. His question is, if I want to get people to the moon, what's the first thing I need to do? The answer to that is I need to get them 20 miles away from the surface of the Earth, so let me work on that first. And this is where... <laughs> This is where he gets into the brainstorming. First he starts with um let's see you can you can see pictures of this on Atlas Obscura. He starts with this open chariot and it has wheels and it has like this vertical rotating sail that comes out of the backrest of the of the seat and his idea is that if they could get this rolling on its wheels and lift a couple of dudes up into space then they could glide to a landing using that sail on the moon with the same wheels from the chariot i want to point out if you look at his work now yes we understand it seems a little weird a little bit dr seussian or whatever but um but well, he was doing his best, and he thought about the engineering, right? He had a motor for this.
1: As you said, Ben, this really was an incredible time for gadgets with things like, you know, gear-driven uh, clocks and all of these various automata uh, that used spring-driven kind of clockwork motors, uh, and that is exactly what he envisioned as the centerpiece for his flying chariot design. Um, Gunpowder, no less, which was another innovation that was huge at the time, um, would actually 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 be used to rapidly wind up the machine so that the mechanism, when you powered it on, would cause this large kind of explosion of energy that would then create uh, the locomotion to drive a pair of wings uh, resembling, you know, a birds on either side of the chariot that would then allow the chariot to theoretically fly upwards uh, 20 miles (laughs) conceivably, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which would then allow it to escape the Earth's pull. The motor could then be switched off uh, and glide towards the moon. I'm assuming he would have some sort of steering mechanism, right? I mean, otherwise, you would just kind of wander willy nilly and, and not have any, you know, way of uh, of
0: navigating. Well, for Wilkins, we have to remember that the idea here is that the moon exerts some sort of smaller level of attraction. So, like, once you get far enough away from earth once you get to that 20 mile threshold then you will start to be naturally pulled toward the moon imagine him talking to these astronauts here if he if he was pitching this and would say okay we're gonna get you out into space 20 miles out and then i think based on my opinion and what i understand of the world you'll just sort of go toward the moon and i hope that's right (laughs) <laughs> exactly. exactly. Fingers sell. crossed. Fingers crossed this Fingers all crossed. works
1: out to, to my exacting specifications. Okay, okay, okay. We set it at the top of the show thinking it might happen, but it's definitely happening. This has become a two-parter. Still technically a uh, proactive two-parter. We had the mm-hmm. inkling that it was heading in that direction, Ben. You had the forethought and the prescience to, to actually say it out loud. So we don't have to retroactively stimp that out. Um, huge thanks to super producer Casey Begram for putting up with us and our weird whims of two-partery. Uh, but this one did seem like it was worth it. Huge thanks to Christopher Haciotis here in spirit, Jonathan Strickland, the
0: quizster. Huge, huge thanks to Yves Jeffcoat. Big, big thanks to one of the stars of our personal constellation, Gabe Luzier, who will be uh, returning on air at some point soon. So stay tuned. And also stay tuned for part two of this series, which is arriving later this week. What a ride, man. No, what a ride. I really dig this Wilkins guy. Yeah seems like a real Mitch.
1: It's a ride almost more exciting than when you first rode Space Mountain when you were a little kid. Can you imagine what that would be like now? Mind blown. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite
0: shows. available in select locations. See
1: app
2: for details. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do. Enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities nor is it investment, legal or tax advice. These testimonies are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways.
0: Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? No, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's
1: something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships.